All right, we have a special signing day, national signing day, 11 dub cast. And I'm, I'm writing solo, but I do have my buddy Andrew Lind here, uh, our, our good recruiting guru uh, for a uh, friend for the uh, our website, 11warriors.com. So how you doing, man? Good, how are you? I'm good. I, I'm a little, I don't want to say befuddled because there's, there's a lot of action going on, but it's definitely less intense than it's been in past years. So I want to make sure that, you know, we have a moment to kind of take our breath for a second before we really get into all this crazy stuff. And what I'm going to do is the first question I want to ask you, and we've got all these guys that were coming in and we'll look at an overview of the class in a second. Uh, what's your favorite thing that has happened so far today in signing day, at least the most entertaining, most interesting, funniest, whatever. Man, that's really a tough question. I guess, you know, from an Ohio State standpoint, you know, to be able to put the finishing touches on a on a second-ranked class, I know they were kind of going to the number one class along the way, but, you know, to be able to be in a position where you miss out on your top target for the entire recruiting cycle in Jackson Carmen, he's, you know, near Cincinnati, plays at a position of, of you know, pretty much the biggest need in the entire class at offensive tackle, and you miss out on him when he decides to go to Clemson. And then over the next month and a half, to be able to go in and, and rely upon relationships established a long time ago with, with Greg Schiano, um, and go in to Florida and take the number one offensive tackle, the only offensive tackle ranked higher than Jackson Parliament, you essentially miss out on the number two tackle, and you get the top rated tackle. And for Ohio State to be able to do that and, and Urban Meyer to be able to do that, and rely, like I said, upon Greg Schiano. Like that, that that's just crazy to think that Ohio State recruits at such a, a high level that they can do something like that. Tell you what, let's actually, you know, I want to incorporate a little Greg Schiano info or at least discussion into this because do you think that has an impact? I mean, obviously, you know, kids are going to want to play for him, and whatnot. Do you think though that at the very end of it, him, you know, kind of coming out and saying that he's going to be staying with Ohio State uh, at least for next season? Um, do you think that has any kind of impact on, on what happens today or at least in the immediate future? Well, I, I do know um, Ohio State went into this past weekend's official visit with Nicholas, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, um, the offensive tackle, and um, they basically laid out a plan for him and said, hey, you know, Greg Siano, he loves it here, but there's always a possibility that he could go on to a, a bigger and better job. You know, and that that's really a sign of a healthy program that Ohio State continuously sees turnover, even though it's only every couple of years, to be able to, to bring in assistants, do a really good job, have them send people to the NFL, and then them that you know, the the assistants themselves be able to have a, a you know, a way to improve their careers, like that just speaks to to the to the health of Ohio State's program. And then to be able to say to this kid and and his mother and say, like Greg Shiano literally went to him and said I trust this program. This program will be the best thing for your son, whether I'm here or not. And that recommendation kind of resonates. Now, for him to then go and say, well, I'm not going anywhere, but if I'm not here, you know, he'll be in good hands, but I'm not going anywhere. That just kind of seals the deal. Right. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm seeing, you know, another five-star pop up on the last day. And that, that to me is obviously the sign of a really healthy recruiting um, regime that they have at Ohio State. But let's talk about them. I mean, this to me was just a huge, like, just, I think, you know, cherry on top of the uh, ice cream there with, with uh, Petit Ferrer. And why does he like have such an impact on this class? Why does he make such a big difference? Well, 
not only is it is it a last day, you know, to be able to address the biggest need in your entire class, you know, they, sure that that's a cherry on top to be able to do it on the very last day. But really, I mean, it's it's kind of like two. You not o- two cherries on top. You not only you know missed out on somebody, you got to then get someone who is better, and then it not only be something that you overcame proximity for you know for other schools like they were going up against Alabama, they were going up against Florida. Um, you know, in, in the South, you can't really beat two of those programs um, if you have the opportunity to play there. And then Notre Dame was another school he was really interested in. He, you know, I, I talked about that in, in his uh, impact article today. He, he places a lot of emphasis on academics. So, of course, Notre Dame was going to be up there, too. And for Ohio State to not really, you know, I don't want to say that they didn't, didn't keep contact with him throughout the recruiting process, but he was, you know, a little bit quieter. Um, he didn't really get all caught up in, in the hoopla of, of the recruiting process. He only took visits when he wasn't actually playing, like during the season, when he wasn't really focused completely on school in the in the football season is when he actually took his visits. So he had only been to Ohio State during the summer, the past two summers, never attended an Ohio State football game. Well, let me take that back because he did, but it was while he was on an official visit to Michigan. So that doesn't really count. Right. And then, you know, to in the last month to be able to come in and say, one, you have a very quick path to the field as long as you take care of what you need to take care of. Um, because there's, there's not really a whole lot of depth. I talked about that too, you know, with Jamarco Jones graduating. When he went down against Iowa last year for a series, they put in uh, Josh Olavi and – He's a converted defensive tackle. So you literally just put a, a converted defensive tackle and a left tackle in arguably the biggest game of the year because at that point in time, you know, that game could have went any, either which way, and that's ultimately what cost them from, from going to the playoffs. Right. To be and able well, to, you know, come in, in in a month before the season or before the, the recruiting cycle is over and pitch that, you know, the relationship with Shiano, and then, you know, just – the academics, everything that Ohio State has to offer, it's it's just you really can't get a much bigger recruiting win than that. Well, and then you know, they come out and they've got they've got three five stars. They've got a ton of guys who are going to be able to contribute immediately. If you look at some of the positions that they were able to recruit, I mean defensive tackle is just completely loaded in this class. Um yeah. do, is there anything that they just maybe didn't hit on as well as they wanted to. I mean, if you look at it, maybe offensive, you can talk about offensive line a little bit, but then when you bring in, you know, a guy like, uh, you know, Nicholas on the last day, then people are going to, you know, maybe look at that in a different light. Are there any weaknesses in this class or is this like top to bottom exactly what they wanted to get? It's, it's kind of hard to say that it's exactly what they wanted simply because, you know, they put so much effort into Emory Jones for yeah. 90% of the recruiting cycle. Right. And, you know, they, they had the idea before he had injured his shoulder that, you know, everybody expected him to be even better than what Tate Martell was coming out of high school. And it's like to have that, that idea of what you're going to get at the quarterback position and then to not have him anymore, you may say that they kind of came up short at quarterback but at the same time, I don't. I'm not discounting Matt Baldwin at all because he obviously comes from a very strong program, um, threw for a million yards, and you know, 100 touchdowns, 100 plus touchdowns, um, and you know, it, it's like 
you don't you don't want to say that they struck out at that position, but I don't think it's exactly what they wanted going into the cycle. Sure. And that, I mean, I guess, um, you know, when you're spending so much time on one guy, I mean, obviously that's going to take it away from time that you'd be spending on somebody else. And, you know, I, the dynamics of this, I just think are really fascinating because a lot of it does happen in such a short window of time. And then yeah. you see stuff on the last day. I mean, you know, all national signing day, I don't even care if they have the, the early signing period. It, it just still has this kind of inertia to it. That's totally different from any of the other days in the recruiting calendar. Um, and, and crazy stuff pops up. So, I, I mean, I don't know, because I was thinking about Emory and I was thinking about how that whole thing played out and how that's, you know, impacting maybe other athletes or not. Do, do other do high school recruits look at that kind of thing negatively? Do does it not impact their attitude at all about it? Or is that something that they're looking at? Like, well, you know, maybe Ohio State made the right call on that. Maybe that gives me an opportunity to kind of go in there and, and take advantage of that spot. I, I definitely think that that's what Baldwin did, um, yeah. you know, knowing that situation. And, you know, he was very under-recruited because he didn't start until his senior year. So he kind of had a chip on his shoulder and said, hey, you want somebody to come into that position to, and succeed, and you want to forget all about Emory Jones, I'm I'm your guy. You know, he obviously, there's, there's still a loaded chart in front of him. It's not something that's deterred him before because, like I said, he comes from a program that has a long history of, of quarterbacks who then go on to have success in college and he's, he, he knows what it's like to wait. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that anybody's ever going to look at the way Ohio state handled that or how Emory Jones handled that situation that it's negatively, you know, and in, in, in hindsight, they probably bullshit have cut ties, you know, maybe at the beginning of, of last season yeah. and then it would have gave both of them a better chance to evaluate the situation and then not, you know, from Ohio state standpoint, they only had two or three quarterbacks on their board who could have replaced him. Um, and then on his, on Emory's side, like he, he wanted to go to Ohio state, even the day before he signed with Florida, he wanted to go to Ohio state, but they just didn't, they didn't want him anymore. And he had to then choose, you know, do I want to go to Florida? Do I want to go to Florida state? Do I want to, you know, Alabama? Um, they didn't even really want him anymore at that point. It, it was just like they were tired of him all playing games. So I think from Ohio state standpoint, they can kind of learn, this is how not to handle a recruitment, you know, or maybe we should cut ties a little earlier. Right. And that's, I mean, I think, I think that's kind of hard, especially when you've got a kid who has so many other offers out there and so many other teams after them. And I, I almost feel like the coaching staff feels like we have to get this kid in part to make sure that we're keeping up with everyone else who's trying to get that kid. And I, I mean, that's, again, that's my just personal opinion. I don't know how you feel about that, but I just feel like the inertia on the, the overall recruiting you know, the fact that you got the ball rolling, you don't want it to stop, maybe makes it harder for you to cut ties with a kid that's just ultimately not going to work out. Um, yeah, and, and right around the time that, that – I apologize. You know, right around the time that um, he kind of took a real interest in Alabama was around the same time that you didn't see as many commitments to Ohio State. You right. know, I don't think they were really pushing for anybody um, because they kind of had a lot of a lot of the positions addressed. You know, there was a, a couple kids in December who finally made a decision. But I, I think those kind of worked hand-in-hand hand, where a lot of kids wanted to come and play with Emory. And then when he said, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to end up at Ohio State, they're like, well, maybe maybe we're not so sold on it just yet, you know. And that kind of slows things down a little bit. From But from the grand scheme of things, like the 90% of the kids who are in this class right now are going to end up in the class regardless of what Emory Jones did. 
Right. And that, and I guess that doesn't surprise me so much. Uh, I got one more macro question before we start looking at some of these guys individually, but we got a class. I mean, you got 26 kids in this class uh, right now. And by my count, five Ohio high school athletes. Um, mm-hmm. Does that, I mean, what does that mean for Ohio state going forward? Is that an issue at all? Because it hasn't been an issue in the past. And I think people are going to look at this class and go, this is a, you know, incredible class. It's one of the best, if not, you know, the best on paper that Ohio state's ever had. Um, but does it matter to players and coaches within the state of Ohio that you're signing 25% of your class from within the state? To players, I don't think it means anything because, you know, they're going to do what's best for themselves. Sure. To coaches, maybe, you know, I, I could see it where they say, well, you went and took this random kid from, you know, we'll just throw Rhode Island out there for an example, not to, to single anybody out. Um, you took X kid from Rhode Island instead of our kid who we think is comparable or better, you know, and then when you come back years from now and say, Hey, we really want your kid that, you know, your kid to that coach. Well, is he going to sit there and say, you should go to Ohio state or is Ohio state going to string you along and then ultimately take some kid from, from somewhere else. Do I think it's a problem that Ohio state doesn't have, you know, 12 Ohioans in this class? Absolutely not. Because I don't think that, given the, the amount of talent in Ohio, at least in this year's class and maybe last year's class, that you can compete for a national championship every year if you're solely doing that. Um, because, in my opinion, you're going to take either Taraja Mitchell or Christopher Oates. Um, right. You know, a, a Kayvon Pope or a Xavier Peters. And a lot of people are going to say, well, we should take the Ohio in every single time. Well, not if the, the out-of-state kid is better, like, why would you do that? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and that's the thing though, because I mean, you're looking at it. It's it's the, the guys from Ohio in this class, I think are all over the place in terms of mm-hmm. national prospects and things like that. And there, there's some guys who were solid locks. I mean, I think you look at a guy like, you know, Tyreek Smith, for example, it was, I think oh, definitely a person they're going to go after. On the other hand, I mean, I'm not saying Alex Williams isn't going to develop into a great player or anything like that, but maybe a bit of a surprise uh, for some people, at least in terms of national prestige. So, you know, it's not, is, I guess the reason why I asked the question is it's not something that I think is an issue, but I just kind of wonder how it's perceived out of the program, outside of the program, especially with people within the state of Ohio, coaches and, and things like that. Because, I mean, it it's interesting to hear that you've got this kind of disconnect maybe a little bit between the players and the coaches just because – you know, the coaches are obviously going to, they're looking out for themselves. They want to be able to put that on their resume that I've got kids going to D1 schools and going to Ohio State and mm-hmm. things like that. So it's it's just an interesting game that I think is is played every single year in terms of the expectations that people in Ohio have just, across the board. The the level of talent at the top is there. You know, that, yeah. that's why you got Jackson Carmen, you know, being recruited by everybody. That's why you got Blue Smith, Tyreek Smith, Dallas Gant, you know. Those kids are being recruited by everybody because they're good. It doesn't matter where they're at. If they're in Ohio, if they're in Indiana, if they're in California, like they're going, they're they're going to be recruited by every every school. They're going to turn out to be really good players. They just happen to be from Ohio. You know, it's, right. it's not like like I said, a, a kid like Xavier Peters, very talented. I've seen him in person several times. But do I think he's on the level that Ohio State needs if they need to compete for a national championship? I really don't know. I think that, you know, when you go out and you, you pretty much 
handpick from the best of the best. I mean, they they literally just signed 13 of the top 100 kids. Are you really going to complain if, <laughs> if 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 they if they sign a kid like Taraja Mitchell instead? Right. I I don't think so. And you know, a lot of people respond and say, well. Darren Lee was a three-star athlete, and look what he turned out to be. And he he contributed to a national championship. That is an outlier. That that's not going to happen ninety percent of the time. And if you really think that, like you you want to root for a bunch of Ohio kids, go root for Bowling Green, go root for Ohio, go root for Toledo. Like that's I mean you know you're right. You're not you're you're not wrong. You are not wrong. We we had this conversation a little bit on Slack. You're not wrong. Um. I, I just think it's interesting what the perception of maybe even fans are about that, because you want to be able to say like, that's, that's my state's team a little bit, but uh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. You're, you're completely right on that. It, it's, it's, it's an interesting disconnect that I think people have sometimes, but honestly, once they put on the uniform and they're on the field, I don't exactly. think anybody cares. They're not thinking about the state. Exactly. No, so nobody is, nobody is complaining that JT Barrett is from, is, is from <laughs> right. Texas. Yeah, they're cl- they're complaining about a hundred thousand other things about JT Barrett, but they're not complaining about the fact that he's from Texas. Now, um, of course, the the response to that is then, well, Mitch Trubisky, you know, was went to North Carolina and he's right. a mentor and right. he is a, a first round NFL draft pick. Like that doesn't happen often. Like that that's just and he wasn't even that good at, at North Carolina until his senior year. JT Barrett holds every single record in the Ohio State record book. So. Yeah, I I just think it's a lot of allegiance that people have to where they're from. That's not necessarily reflective of maybe the reality of what recruiting is. I want to ask you about this. Let, let's talk about some of these um, skill position players. We've got there's a couple of running backs in the class. Uh, you've got obviously a lot of guys coming at wide receiver. Um, are these guys, especially at running back, I mean, it's going to be so hard for those guys. But are there guys at wide receiver and some of these other skill positions, even tight end, who can make an impact immediately in 2018? See, that's a that's a really tough question. Just because at running back, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean that's um, right. you know that it, it it would be hard for Antonio Williams to get this year, <laughs> level, you know, let alone a, a true freshman. Right. You know, I could see him. You know, maybe one of them playing special teams. Like you know, you you kind of want to stagger them a little bit, so you you throw Master Teague in uh, on special teams, get him a year ahead of of Brian Snead, or you know, and and see if they can make an impact there. Um. But to get actual carries and in, in games that matter, that that would that would be a tall task. Um, you know, at wide receiver, I, I don't really see it right away either. Maybe Cameron Babb, um, and that a lot of that depends on whether he's fully recovered from his ACL injury. Um, you know, he he's just a really special talent, and his his ranking he's he's still among the top wide receivers in the country. But even his ranking doesn't really justify what he can bring to the table. He's he's a completely different wide receiver than Ohio State's had um, in 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 a while. Um, you know, another player who could who could potentially make an impact at, at and I, I would consider this a skill position um, of sorts, just based on how he played in high school. Would be Jeremy Ruckert. Um, he plays tight end, um, and he actually played receiver in high school just because that's what happens when you're the best athlete on on you know one of the best athletes on the team. They're not going to line you up to block. Right. Um, so the impact that he is going to make is going to be, you know, being able to open up the offense from the tight end position like they haven't had before. Now, whether or not he actually sees the field a ton depends on how much he's able to learn how to block. Um, but I mean, the, the the kid is is six six two forty. It's not like he's not going to know how to block. 
<laughs> right. Well, and then that maybe is your, you know, your your third offensive lineman in the class at some point, uh, depending on how that shakes out. Um, which is not something I think, you know, guys at those types of positions like to hear, but sometimes that's that's what they're pushed towards, I think. Um yeah. so here's the other thing that I wanted to ask, and this is again we'll get into maybe some national stuff here in a second, but as far as the class goes overall, I mean, what is the, what is the value of this class in terms of immediate impact for 2018? Is it depth? Is it setting things up for the future when you lose, you know, maybe some guys to the draft in 2018? Uh, What is, what is going to happen in 2018 with these 26 athletes to make Ohio state better on the field immediately? I think you hit the nail on the head as, as a, as a whole, um, by saying that it's kind of a, a move towards the future. You know, adding a fourth receiver like they did in Chris Olave, you know, two weeks ago, like or a little over a week ago, um, you know, to be able to, to add someone like that late in the process, um, it's it's kind of having the idea of we don't need some of these positions right now to right. provide a lot of depth, you know, especially a receiver. There's, there's six returning starters. For any of them to crack the – the two deep, I, you know, it, it would be really difficult. But at the same time, next year, all six of them could be gone. And if you can, you can find ways to to get them ready, and get them to understand the playbook, you know, how to run routes, which hasn't always been a strength, you know, of of the Ohio State receiving core. Um, if if you can, if you can focus on that and focus on 2019, when you lose every single wide receiver, you you have people who are ready. At other positions, though, it, it does bring a lot of depth. That offensive tackle, you know, they brought in two really good, really good prospects. I think Max Ray has a, a really good chance of being a future All-American as well. Um, he, he's he's sometimes been, I, I guess, kind of criticized because he he hasn't played in the toughest, you know, divisions in football. Right. Um, but at the same time, like when when I was in San Antonio. He was outperforming Rasheed Walker, who Ohio State wanted, went to Penn State. He outperformed Jackson Carmen. He actually got the start over Jackson Carmen in San Antonio at the at the Army Bowl. You know, so he shows these shows this potential, even though he's often one who recruiting analysts or scouting experts point to and say, well, he might not turn out to be as good as what you expect. So offensive tackle, they got really good and brought in a lot of depth. Defensive end went from a position where you know, they only have three scholarship guys um, following the season. And then you bring in Tyreek Smith, who outside of Brenton Cox, I think is the best defense in the country. Tyler Friday, he has the, the ability to play anywhere along the defensive line. And then to bring in a kid like Javante Jean-Baptiste today, he, he brings something that is kind of like the hybrid defensive end linebacker, you know, able to be, um, just a more athletic kind of kid. So they, they really addressed and really addressed two positions of need and brought in a lot of depth at those positions as well. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I mean, it's it's interesting looking at some of the, the measurables of these guys. I mean, you you just, you know, talked about uh, Jean-Baptiste. I mean, six foot five, <laughs> you know, I mean, that yeah. that's a dude you're going to see all over the place, I think, um, it, with – you know, he's going to put on some weight, and that's. I think he's going to be a a big guy to to try to handle on the edge. Um, you, know, you can really you can really look and see the, um, you know, the kind of frames that these kids are coming into. Like, oh yeah, Tyler Friday is pretty much the same size as as what Tyquan Lewis was. Right. Um. You know, when he graduated college, like 
that is a big defensive end and somebody who can really make an impact that Ohio State hasn't had before. And then Javante, he's kind of in the same same general uh, build as Jalen Holmes. So they're they're pretty much just stocking up on on the same the same rushmen that they've had for these past couple of years, and it's just going to continue to pay dividends. Well, and it's really hard to complain about that because that's, I mean, yeah. obviously the, the proof is in the pudding. They've done so incredibly well the last, you know, several seasons uh, with that kind of uh, that group. I think that's pretty impressive. All right. Uh, let's get you out of here on this. I, I just want to do a little bit of look at the Big Ten in general. I mean, we, we talk about uh, Michigan a lot and we, you know, obviously Michigan's going to be at the forefront of everyone's mind because of their arrival and whatnot. Penn State has put together a really great class. I think they're fourth in the country right now. Is that is that accurate? Uh, I haven't looked at it um, in a t- like like an hour or so, but that that's where they were fourth, fifth. Okay, so around fourth or fifth, Michigan is like nineteenth, twentieth. What what has happened? Not just yeah, not just with Michigan, but with Penn State. How has Penn State and James Franklin done so well in the past couple of years? And and what is going on with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, where they just cannot get any traction? I mean, granted, they're not going to have a huge class this year, but how, how does that happen? With a guy like Harbaugh and a and a pedigree like Michigan's, yeah. Well, I think uh, at Penn State they kind of um, they kind of do things the way that Ohio State does. You know, it's a, it's a lot of the culture and, and being able to present things. Um, you know, winning a winning culture, life off the field, life after football, and you know, stuff like that. That's something that's appealing to to recruits. And um, you know, I, I I just don't think that Michigan really offers that. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's that's. I think a huge indictment of Jim Harbaugh uh, because yeah. that would be the one thing that you think they would offer. You would think that that would be something that you would know if you go to Michigan, if you take a visit there and there are plenty of Ohio state guys who took, uh, you know, unofficial visits and whatnot there. It just didn't even blink at what Michigan was offering. So I don't, I, I just, I think that's really fascinating what's going on up there. I know they're kind of bringing their hands on their websites and, and what's going on with the recruiting um and the staff and whatnot but it's just to me it's fascinating because you would expect them to be so much better than they are right now and they're just not um i'm not exactly crying about it but it's it's just it's it's really fascinating i think see how that flip yeah, is I, going to happen it, it's just one of those things that you see two two premier programs in the same division and you know they they just can't overcome that yeah and it's <laughs> and you would think that they wouldn't like you would think that they would be able to, I guess that's the expectation that I have. And I think I know this expectation that Michigan fans have. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really kind of insane to me to watch. Uh, all right. So anyway, um, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate the the chat. I know you are super, super busy, but Andrew Lynn, thank you very much for talking with us about the 2018 Ohio state recruiting class. No problem. Thank you.